0: Can be seated. Thank you so much. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn to the 18th chapter of Jeremiah, Ryan did not sing that song by accident. Uh, You are the potter, I am the clay. We're turning to that verse, uh, that famous passage of Scripture where uh, God talks about uh, him being the potter in our lives and us being the clay. Uh, It's mentioned several times in Scripture. Another passage is Isaiah 64 where he tells us that we're to be like clay and he wants to mold us and make us. Uh, You know, the the Bible is full of wonderful analogies. Uh, One of the analogies is the potter and the clay. Another one of the analogies and uh, several of the analogies that I like are athletic analogies. And we'll kind of tie both those in together here that are used in, in the scripture Uh, over and over again. Jeremiah is is a great book. Uh, The the prophet Jeremiah was 20 years old when he uh, launched into ministry, and for the next 40 years of his life, he spent prophesying from God. In fact, if you look at the book of Jeremiah, especially the first two chapters, and then even in the 18th chapter, it starts off by saying, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. And then he shared that word with his people. Uh, his, his whole thought process was trying to direct Israel, the people of Israel, uh, to, to come back to God. And unfortunately, like so many of us, they would not listen. They weren't interested in what Jeremiah had to say. The first 45 chapters of Jeremiah, he has spent almost... Uh, rebuking them, telling them, warning them uh, of what's going to happen if they don't listen to God. Uh, but the people of Israel are not interested. Uh, they're they're uh, not interested in listening. They're not interested in what Jeremiah has to say to them. Uh, so it's a, it's a very frustrating time in the life of Jeremiah. Um, in, in the 18th chapter, we come to a place where God speaks to Jeremiah, and he says to Jeremiah, I want you to go to the potter's house and, and look at what's going on there. And, and so you find this in, in the very first verse. In fact, if you're at Jeremiah 18, let me read to you through. I, I have on my notes Jeremiah 1 through 11, but I, I'm, I'm going to read uh, Jeremiah 1 through 12 out of uh, chapter 18. Um, this is a three-part part series that I think will really uh, hit home with you. I hope as much as it hits home with me. Um, I, I've kind of entitled the the whole series "Shaping Things to Come." How how do you allow God to shape things to come? And found it fascinating that the the song uh, tells it so clearly about I'm the Potter and you are the clay. But then it the, the course or the verse talks about, shape my heart, oh God. And, that, and that's how we come about uh, defining things to come in our life. You know, if, if I was to ask you in whose hands should you place your future, uh, most of you would give the Pat uh, Baptist answer, you know, well, we place our, our future in Jesus' hands. And that's true, uh, absolutely nothing wrong with that answer. But I think that's only part of the answer. And I think what Jeremiah shows us in chapter 18 is that part of the answer certainly is you must place your life into God's hands if you want your future to be shaped. But the other part is you have to shape your heart to chase after God and follow after God. So it's a, it's a two-part answer. You're, you're not, and we will mention this multiple times this morning, but you are not a robot. Uh, God didn't create you as a robot just to be programmed and follow everything that he calls out. Uh, You have free will. We will mention that here in just a few moments. You have choices to make, and one of the choices that you make is to shape your heart after God, to chase after God. You'll see that woven throughout the three sermons that I'm going to preach, but What I'm excited about is hopefully your heart and my heart being open to the fact that you can help to shape your future. You can shape the things that are coming in your life. Uh, This morning, I I really kind of want to start off with don't give up on your future. Uh, Some of you are my age, and my admonition to you is don't give up on your future. Uh, Some of you are way younger than I am. My admonition to you is don't give up on your future. Uh, some of you are just starting your walk with Christ. Don't give up on your future. This is what Jeremiah is telling us in, in chapter 18. Let's look at the very first verse. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So God is telling Jeremiah, I want to teach you something, but I'm going to teach you at the potter's house, so go there. And in verse 3, he says, So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Uh, Some versions, especially if you read new new paraphrases, they'll say uh, the pot was damaged, or, or the pot didn't look the way the potter wanted it to look. Uh, there's all kinds of fascinating things. If you'll go look at different paraphrases for verse 3 that you'll find there that are incredibly enlightening to what's going on here. The potter is shaping something and it's not going the way he wants it to go. And so then in verse 4 he says, But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his so the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. And then the word of the Lord came to me. And so Jeremiah has been to the potter's house just like the Lord has told him to. And the Lord has said, I'm going to teach you something when you go to the potter's house. And so he, he, he reads or he uh, writes these first four verses that help us to understand where he's at. He's walked into the potter's house. The potter is shaping something, and it's not what he had hoped. And so he begins to reshape it. The way he wants it to look. And then in verse 5, Jeremiah says, I see what the Lord was teaching me. And he says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed. And if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I'd planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah, and those living in Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. But they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. So Jeremiah and, and the Lord are having a conversation, and the Lord begins to say, look, there's some destruction that's coming For the way of Israel, unless they turn and repent of their ways. And I want you to go tell them that they need to turn, they need to repent, they need to change from their evil ways. And what's fascinating here to me in verse 12, and that's why I wanted um, to share that with you, is the Lord tells Jeremiah, you're going to share this with them and they're not going to care. They're they're not going to listen. And uh, they're going to follow the stubbornness of their own evil hearts. It's a, it's a reminder of so many things on so many different levels for me uh, and for you. One is that our job is to communicate the gospel, uh, to tell people that the Lord wants uh, you to repent uh, and that many people will listen to that gospel message and they will be stubborn and they will be evil and they will not repent. But the Lord says... That's not your concern. Your concern is to do what I have told you to do. So many times when we prepare to do mission trips or different things like that, every once in a while I'll I'll have somebody come up to me and go, you know, those people have heard the gospel message before. Or they'll say something to the effect of, there's people right here that need to hear the gospel message. Why would you go halfway around the world? And the truth is found in both of those. The truth is... People halfway around the world need to hear the gospel message, and we're commanded in Scripture to take that gospel message to them, but the people right here are supposed to hear the gospel message too, and we're supposed to tell those people who are on our block and in our neighborhood and in our family of the gospel message too. But truth is woven into this passage of Jeremiah is that many people will hear that gospel message and they will not repent from their stubborn and evil ways. But that does not give us the out. Our job is to always take that gospel message. Let me tell you a couple of things before I I launch into two or three points that I I want you to remember from this morning. Uh, Scripture constantly reminds us that there's an ebb and flow to life. Look, as we begin to talk about your future and what you will see as I work through Jeremiah 18 here is I, I will bring a passage that the Lord intended for a nation and, and, and I will bring it to where it intend, uh, that I, I want you to catch the intent of how the Lord means it for our personal life too. Um, when, when God is sharing here with Jeremiah, he's pointing to the whole nation of Israel. But at the same time, because of the personal in, instruction of, of the potter and the clay... He's also referring to us personally in our our personal lives too about how we are supposed to be in tune with God and how He wants to be a shaper of our future. And what you'll see woven throughout Scripture is that this is always the ebb and flow of life. And when you read the 23rd Psalm, it, it does not promise you that life is always an upward trajectory. Uh, That's why the 23rd Psalm refers to us walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It doesn't talk about us parking in the valley, but it does talk about us walking in the valley. And you can go through scripture after scripture and book after book where you will find that life has its ebbs and flows. It has its, its good times and its bad times. If you've walked this earth long enough... You know that already. And Scripture mirrors that fact, reflects that fact, helps us to understand that that's part of who we are. Uh, and it's partially due to our sinful nature. Uh, we are going to go through, through peaks and valleys in our life. But what the Lord is telling us here in Jeremiah 18 and what I want you to grab and what I want to grab this morning Is he wants to be in the shaping process of your future? He wants to be in in the guiding process of your future. And and the question is to you and to me, will we allow that to happen? You see, Jeremiah 18 is is a passage of encouragement and warning. I mean, it's doing both at the same time. And I love that about the scripture. I love the scripture doesn't always just throw darts at us and, 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 and uh, the anger that the Lord certainly has uh, within his righteous capability to throw at us does not come out with his grace and his mercy too. It, it's always this encouragement but this warning. Um, it, it's, you know, it's a struggle that, that you get when you're sharing your faith with somebody. And, and they say to you, you know, you say, Listen, we worship a holy God. Uh, He had a son, Jesus, who who came and died for us. And if you repent of your sins and believe in him, then you can have eternal life. When, When you give that good news to somebody, every once in a while, that somebody will come back and say, well, what happens if I don't repent? And you say, well, then there's ultimate punishment. God has warned you of that. And then a, a lot of times those people will throw back into your face or into my face something along the lines of, then you're saying, I'm going to go to hell. Then I'm going to spend eternity in hell. And the answer for that always is, I'm not saying that. God says that. It's not me who's condemning you to hell it's a holy and righteous God. You see, I'm a sinner just like you You are a sinner. And my condemnation is just like your condemnation is. The difference is I believe in Christ who died for my sins, who went to the cross and rose again so that I could be forgiven. So you always have within Scripture encouragement and warning. You certainly have it. Here in Jeremiah 18. So here's what I I want for you today. Whatever you're going through today, whatever uh, place you are in life, uh, whatever valley you may be in or whatever peak you may be walking across right now, wherever God has you in this ebb and flow of life, I want you to be assured of this, that there is still time for you to alter your future. Now, I don't know if they put that up there. They did. Thanks, Mark. Happy birthday, Mark, by the way. do you know Mark turned 30 what? Eight? <laughs> Just thought you ought to know that, that we have an older man working those slides this morning. So there's still time to alter your future. And I did not not misspell that on, well, back up. I did misspell it on purpose. The correct use of the word there is the word alter, A-L-T-E-R. Uh, that's, that's what should go in place there. But a, as the Lord was just working with me as I was as doing this, I said, you know what? That's the perfect word to really spell in there. There's still time to alter your future. You see, because I believe if you take your life to the altar, that God can change your future. I, I love this. You know, God's just incredible. You guys know that. I, 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 don't, I hope I don't have to teach you that. But I thought, as I wrote down A-L-T-A-R, I knew in my mind, because I was always pretty good in English. I, I, math was a struggle, but I was always pretty good in English. So I knew in my mind that A-L-T-E-R was a correct word. But then I thought, is that right? A- am I thinking that right? Or is alter used in two different ways? And so I, I Googled up alter, you know, that's what you do. I love, I love the definition, A-L-T-E-R. Listen to this. A-L-T-E-R is to change or cause to change your character. That's one of the definitions of it. Isn't that great? So, you know, it's not too late for, for God to alter your future, A-L-T-E-R, to change or cause to change in character. I love what it said right after that, though. It said, sometimes this is confused with altar, A-L-T-A-R. When I read that, I thought, that's not confused. That's perfect. Because if you want to change your character, if you want to alter who you are and where your future is, then where you need to be and where I need to be is at the altar. We need to be at the altar and praying that God would be involved in shaping us and molding us, taking our heart and changing it for Him. Let me share with you three things this morning that, that I really want you to hear about what I think the Lord has, is trying to teach us about our future and, and not giving up on it and, and what's listed here in, in Jeremiah 18. Uh, a lot of these apply to us as believers If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Christ, um, uh, my my heart's desire, everyone's heart's desire in here that is a believer is that you would become a believer in Christ. Uh, But for those of us who are believers, God, if if we will place our life on the wheel and let him be the shaper, the molder, the maker of our life, then he can change us. So let me, let me point out three things to us believers, especially this morning. If you're a believer, look, look who's at the potter's wheel. That's the first thing I want to share with you this morning. Uh, look, look who is shaping your life. It's, it's kind of one of those deals, if you can imagine this, this is kind of a, a weird way to state it, but you'll get what I'm going. If you place your life on the potter's wheel and you see hands coming at you to shape you, Whose hands are those that are shaping you? I I, I mean, in in verse 3 it says, So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. In in the understanding of the scripture here, what Jeremiah is saying here is, I went down to the potter's house and I saw the potter working at the wheel. That makes complete sense. But what Jeremiah is saying here, when he he, uh, gets the word from God, and in verse 5, he begins to expand of what he saw and what God's trying to teach him. Is he saying, I went down to the potter's house and I saw my life on the wheel and I saw him, God, shaping my life. So the, the question is, do you see God shaping your life? Uh, when, when, when you uh, physically and mentally place your life on that potter's wheel whose whose hands do you see shaping your life i mean there's there's all kinds of people who want to get their hands in there your boss at work wants to get his hands in there shaping your life. your husband or your wife wants to get their hands in there shaping your life your kids want to shape your life i mean you know, think about it. it it's, it's crazy, but sometimes our kids rule our lives. You know, uh, and I'm not picking on anybody or, you know, pointing out anybody special, but if you're gone 50 weeks a year playing baseball, your kids are shaping your life. You know, there, there's just some things that we have to stand back from and look at and go, okay, who, whose hands are those that, that are shaping me? In, in shaping my future um, and we have to be honest here we, we we have to look at that you know I love Laura but I don't want Laura shaping my future I want Laura to be on the potter's wheel with me and that God's going like this and he's shaping our future together now am I thankful that Laura walks this walk with me absolutely Am I thankful that, you know, we have have worked together as a couple? Absolutely. But I don't want to shape Laura any more than I want Laura shaping me. I I want God shaping us. You know, you you don't want uh, all those outside influences. You don't want Hollywood shaping your future. You don't want politicians shaping your future. Uh, It should be God's hands and God's alone. We all know there is a God. The question is, do you trust Him to shape your future? I mean, I I, I say that I, I I take it for granted that you're here this morning because you believe there's a God. The question is, do you trust Him implicitly, Him and Him alone, to shape your future? And if you're not trusting Him, then who are you trusting? And then the question goes back to, are you willing to alter your life to allow God to shape your future? So it it may be that today is the day that you go to the altar and say, uh, God, I've had a lot of people that have tried to get their hands into shaping my future. But God, today is the day that I change all that and it becomes you and only you shaping my future. Second thing is this, and this is important for you to hear. It's important for me to hear. It's important for everyone. Look at verse 4 again. I just want to point this out to you. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands or uh, was misformed in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. Okay. God's in control, He's shaping your future, but you have sin in your your life. And because you have sin in your life, your your mold, your clay is not as perfect as God intended it to be. That's been true since Adam walked the earth. Uh, Sin is here, your life's not perfect, my life is not perfect. And so there's always this shaping that's going on. And God's saying, man, need to get that sin out. Will you go to the altar and get that sin out? And then I realize that there's a little marring that's going on here. It's not quite the way that I wanted it to be. So I'm going to reshape it and make it the way that I want it to be. This is is my favorite, probably, point, if I was going to pick a favorite out of the three, because I just like the way it sounds. It applies to all of us. God can transform a mistake into a masterpiece. That's who He is. He can take your life that you see as a mistake and that other people see as a mistake. And he can transform it into a masterpiece. That's who God is. (coughs) Excuse me. Listen to me. You're going to have to listen because we're going to go some theology here. Not that I haven't been doing theology already, but we're going to do some theology here for just a second that I want to make sure you grab hold of. God doesn't design everything that happens, but he can redesign anything that happens. Let me say that again, because some people are, you're you're probably going, whoa. God doesn't design everything that happens. If he did, you and I would be robots. Think about that. If he designed everything that happened, you would be just a robot. You would be walking through life. And he would design everything that happened and you would just be going through life doing everything that God happens. And if he did that, you would not be sinning, correct? Because that's not what God would allow you to do. But God said, I created you, but I give you free will. You can do what you want and choose whether you want to follow me or not. And so... He he doesn't design everything that happens, but He can redesign anything that happens. Anything that's gone on in your life that you have done where sin has entered in and you have made the mistake, God can redesign it and make a masterpiece out of it. That's the great news of today. That's the news that we ought to sing about. That's the news that we ought to shout about. Because your life can be transformed. It can be redesigned because... The master is at the wheel, and he can take that clay, and he can just mold it back down again, and then he can start to, to reshape it again, and he can make the masterpiece <coughs> that he wants out of it. You're going to have to, excuse me, I'm going to have to grab a drink of water. Let me, let me tell you a couple of baseball analogies. I, t- I told you James is going to like this. I don't know if anybody else will like this, but I, w- I want to... I want to tell you a couple of, of masterpiece redesigns that happen in baseball. Did you know, if you, if you know much about baseball, you would probably be familiar with the fact that the pitcher's mound is 60 feet, 6 inches away from home plate. That's, that's the, the, how far the pitcher's mound is from home plate, 60 feet, 6 inches. Most people, when they talk about baseball, They talk about the 90 feet to the base paths and the 60 feet, 6 inches from the pitcher's mound to home plate. And and they talk about how it's the most perfect game ever because of the 90 feet and the 60 feet, 6 inches. It it always has worked. It's worked for however many years they've been playing baseball, 120 years. It's just worked perfect. They've never had to lengthen the bases because people got faster. They never had to move the pitcher's mound because pitchers got better. It's always worked. Did you know the the guy who uh, installed the first pitcher's mound misread the 60 feet, 6 inches? It was supposed to be 60 feet, 0 inches, but he misread it. The guy who wrote the note writes a lot like I do, and his 0 inches at the end was a 6. He misread as a 6 instead of a 0 because he had a curly Q on a 0. And so from the day the game has been designed the pitcher's mound has been wrong. Six inches wrong. But you know what? Most people think baseball is a great game and a perfect game and almost kind of a masterpiece the way it's exactly the way it's supposed to be. That's where baseball took a mistake and has made it work forever and ever and ever. I don't know how many of you are, you know, you just have to put up with me for two more minutes here, but, you know, The Astros have probably the greatest second baseman uh, in the league right now. If not, maybe the greatest second baseman of all time. His name is Jose Altuve. He's from Venezuela. Do you know he's five foot six? Five foot six inches tall. Everybody, everybody told Jose Altuve when he was growing up that he was a good baseball player, but he was too short. And he would never be able to play the game as an adult. You know what people told him? This is this is true. You ask or read about how Jose Altuve. They this is what they This is what people told him, that God made a mistake with him because he was a good baseball player, but God made a mistake and made him too short. When, when uh, a lot of Major League Baseball operations went to Venezuela, they do that to go because they play really good baseball down there and so they'll go scout players down there. When they went down there and held a tryout, 60 players came and Jose Altuve was one of them. He showed up for the tryout. He, um, he fielded ground balls, he hit ground balls, he did everything he was supposed to do and he came to talk to all the pro scouts and all the pro scouts said, you're too short. Go home. And he went home. You know what his father said? His father said, go back again tomorrow. Maybe they'll forget who you are. (laughs) So he did. He went back the next day, and they all felt sorry for him because they came back. They all recognized him, but they all felt sorry for him. They came back. There was one man there, a scout for the Houston Astros named Tim Perdue. And Tim Purdue uh, said, let's give this kid one more chance. And so they, he fielded 60 balls, batted 60 balls. He did all the things he was supposed to do. And one man in the Astros organization who's passed away turned to Tim Perdue and said, does he play like that all the time? And he said, he plays like that all the time. It doesn't matter if there's nobody in the stands or if the stands are full. He plays with his heart and soul all the time like that. And so that man turned to Jose Altuve on the second day, when his father said, go back, maybe they won't remember you, and said, hey, we'll sign you, but we're only going to give you $15,000. That's all we got. And if that's not enough for you, you just need to go home. And Jose Altuve said, I'll sign. Show me where to sign. And he signed his name on the piece of paper, his first contract, and he came to start working in the Houston Astros organization and began to work his way up. It's a, a long story to tell you how God can take what some people see as a mistake and make it a masterpiece. Do you know that Jose Altuvi this last year signed a, a seven-year extension to his contract for 50 times what he signed his first contract for? He makes millions and millions of dollars right now. And last year was the MVP and won the World Series. You know, the the question has to be for you and me, do you believe that God can take your heart and can reshape it and remold it and make a masterpiece out of it? Because the answer, without a doubt, out of Jeremiah 18 is that He can do that. That He's the God who can take what other people see as a mistake and make a masterpiece. I have so many stories that I could tell you of people who have had this happen in their lives, people who have changed personal stories. I mean, even even my daughter Ashley is, is a great example right now of how God's taken some situations in her life that were mistakes and making them into a masterpiece, It's just evident over and over again. And and the answer does not have to be, well, it happens to everybody else. It never happens to me. Not true. God does not play favorites. The question always has to be, are you willing to place your heart on the potter's wheel and let him shape your life? Last thing. Here's what I want you to get. God, God will shape your future if you will be the clay. It's it's very evident in verse five and six. Look, look, then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does? Declares the Lord, like clay in the hands of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. So. The question for you and me is, are, are we willing to be clay? Um, excuse me. Here, here's what happens uh, to a lot of us, me included. I, I've done this on, on more than one occasion. But we take our heart out and we put it on the potter's wheel. But the problem is it's not a heart of clay. It's a heart of stone. We put that stone on the potter's wheel and we say, there you go, God. Shape that. Mold that. Make that. Do what you want with it. And God says, that's it's stone. It's already formed. It's already the way you want it to be. You're not allowing me to change what I want to change. You're not allowing me to shape what I want to shape. You're not allowing me to do what I want to do. You've chosen. And until you place clay instead of stone, I can't shape you. I can't make your future what I want to make it. And so all of us have to figure out how we can change that stone heart of ours to clay and lay it there and repent and ask him to change us. Oh, I'd love to tell you that's easy. I'd love to tell you it's simple if you just do this one thing or two things, check this box off and you can do it. But it's, it's hard. I'm, I'm not going to mess around here. It's really hard to make your heart moldable and makeable for God. But I can tell you this if you're willing to make that move, then God's willing to transform your life, change it to where it's never the same again. And some of you are saying, well, I'm too old, can't change, I'm too old. I get it. You know, I, I, I kind of feel that too. Then I'm reminded of a friend of mine, Melba Tiller, who at seventy something years of age went with me on her first mission trip to Africa. That was about the time that she was starting. Uh, after she'd retired, uh, she was starting the Christian Women's Job Corps here in Nacogdoches, which. Um, teaches women who are in poverty uh, and who are struggling with their education. It educates them, gives them computer skills, uh, teaches them uh, job interviewing skills, teaches them uh, how to walk with the Lord. Uh, most One of the most amazing ministries, I had the privilege of being president of the board because Melba came to me one, one day and, and said, Hey, Bobby, I... I I want you to be on the board of the Christian Women's Job Corps. And I said, well, Melba, I'm not sure that I have time. And she said, well, I didn't ask you if you had time. I just said, you're going to be on the board of the Christian Women's Job Corps. And I said, okay. Uh, Because when 70-something-year-old women who glow with God ask you to do something, you just do it. And I did it, and then I became president of the board. Do you know that one of Laura's office workers, there's two ladies who really helped, Laura in ministry at the office, They office managers and one of those ladies is a graduate of the Christian Women Job Corps, speaks Spanish fluently. Most incredible lady. She placed her clay on the potter's wheel and the potter transformed her life. back to melba she was 70 too old god didn't need to shape her future she's too old but she, he said well let me send you to africa let me help you start the christian women job corps and she did that for 7 years and seven or eight years and then she said well i'm going to retire from the christian women job corps so she did then she started a prison organization to, to be where Christian people could help prisoners' families who, who were struggling because their loved ones were in prison. So she started an organization. I think it's called TIFA or something like that. Then they honored her the other day at, at SFA as the Woman of the Year. She was, how old's Melbourne now? 87? Her husband's 94. I said, Melba, what are you? Because I've learned to ask this question now. I said, Melba, what are you doing after this? Because I'm not sure I want to be around you anywhere close, get asked to do more stuff or anything. But that's just a lady who has her life on the potter's wheel and doesn't use Asia as an excuse. One more. Let me just tell you one more. I promise, this is it. But I, I want to tell you about a friend named Ricky because Ricky was not happy in his job. And I really feel like maybe some of you are there, or some of you can relate to Ricky's story. Ricky, Ricky was a CPA, uh, smart, smart guy. Passed all his exams. Uh, worked as a CPA until his late 30s but you know what his passion was and what his love was uh, was flying and so um, Ricky which most of us would never do but Ricky Ricky was brave enough and talked to God enough that he said I'm just going to place my life on the potter's wheel and I'm going to let him begin to shape my life and so he he had already done tons of flying lessons, already had lots of flying hours. And so he applied to become a pilot with United Airlines, totally walk away from being a CPA and walk toward what he thought God had really created him to do, which was to be a pilot for United Airlines. And he did. Uh, He walked away from the CPA job, and United Airlines hired him. You know that United Airlines hired him and trained him how to fly and do all that. And uh, he had been flying for one month with United Airlines, and 9-11 happened. And United Airlines began laying off people. This was Continental before they were combined with United. But Continental began laying off pilots left and right. And they went to Ricky. And they said, Ricky, we, you know, you've only been flying for a month. There's no way you're going to hang. We're going we're to let you go. Uh, there's nothing we can do. And Ricky says, is there any options, anything available to me? And they said this, you can work the ticket counter and you can load bags on the plane. And if you do that and you hang on, then when and if we ever start rehiring again, you'll be the first one of the first ones that we'll rehire. And so for about a year and a half, 18 months, Ricky swallowed his pride. This is CPA, making good money. He swallowed his pride, and he worked the ticket counter and loaded bags in Shreveport, Louisiana for a year and a half. But then one day the plane called, I mean the company called, the airline called, and said, we're starting to hire again, and you're one of the first ones back in line again because you remain faithful. And so they hired him. And he began to work his way up the system. Now Ricky, in his mid-50s, is a first officer on the newest plane that United flies, a 787. He flies from uh, Los Angeles to Tokyo, and Los Angeles to Singapore, Los Angeles to London, as a first officer in the plane. To tell you that story because I want you to hear that God is in the future-shaping business. He's in the changing lives business. That's what God does. And if you'll place your heart on the altar, like we sang a few minutes ago, if if you'll put not the stone but the clay on the altar and turn it over to God, He will shape your future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the truth that's in Scripture, that if we were just open our hearts, you will shape us. God, would you mold us and make us to what you want us to be? That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, as we move into a time of invitation, the invitation to you is to the altar, the A-L-T-A-R. Do you want God to shape your life? Do you want God to change your life? Do you want God to transform your life? Are you willing to become clay in the potter's hands? Only you can answer that. So this morning, as Ryan sings, you have the opportunity uh, to do that. You can come to this altar, and you can pray. You can make an altar where you stand, and you can pray. Maybe God's talking to you about placing your life into the hands of this church, uh, becoming a part of Holly Springs. We would love to have you be part of our family. Maybe you're wanting to understand what it means to be a believer in Christ. Nothing would give us greater pleasure than to share with you what it means to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Whatever you need to decide this morning, I pray that God would open up your heart to make that decision as we all stand together and sing with Ryan.